Well, greetings to everyone in Jesus' name this morning. We're back to having church this way again. Not by choice, I guess, totally, but it's the way it is. And I miss, I miss you all not being here this morning very much. <clears throat> so let's begin with prayer again before I preach. Lord, we come to you this morning. Thank you for your good word. Thank you for your eternal word. Lord, thank you that it's, it will remain forever. Lord, though heaven and earth pass away, we have the precious word this morning in our hands, the word of life. Precious word of life. Lord, thank you for the word that we heard already this morning. It's so good to take these words in to our souls, Lord. And I pray, God, that you'd bless the Father message, Lord. God, let the word uh, minister to our hearts, Lord, this morning in this very hard and difficult time that we find ourselves in in the world. Lord, we pray for strength and for perseverance and endurance, and faithfulness to the end, Lord. God bless, bless the body that is not here this morning for the most part, Lord. Bless them in their homes. Bless those that are sick, Lord. We pray especially for our brother Laverne, that you'd uh, be near to him, touch him, and the Garces and the Kellers, and others that have it, Lord, we pray for your blessing and healing upon their, their sick, Lord. God, we look to you. You are the great physician. We pray for your blessing that way, Lord. So, God, I do trust you for utterance and for guidance as I preach. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> Well, maybe first of all, before I get into the message this morning, I'll give an announcement that Brother uh, Brendan wanted me to give concerning the scripture recital or the memory work that we're doing. Uh, he's not planning to be here next Sunday again, so we will, do, we will recite the second chapter hopefully in two weeks, and the third chapter we can begin working on planning to recite that then in three weeks. So not this coming Sunday, but the following one we will recite, First Peter chapter 2. I'm going to be preaching out of... First Thessalonians this morning, First Thessalonians chapter 5, and what got me to this chapter and meditating on this chapter is just the unsettledness of our world that we find ourselves in, 
just a lot of things going on that you just kind of find yourself sometimes thinking and wishing things could get back to normal. And some of that is right and good to wish for that. Paul told us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe it is, that we should pray for kings and those in authority that we could lead a quiet and peaceable life. And so some of those desires are are, are right and good to wish that things could could uh, get back to normal, but I don't know if it's this way with you, but whenever I think, find myself thinking those thoughts of it getting back to normal, there's just a tinge of question there that, that uh, you know, what is normal or is it, is it good to, for things to get back to normal because would we just kind of slide back into the humdrum of life again and not have to uh, put forth effort to, to uh, make it through these difficult times. And then, then I was thinking about the words, when they say peace and safety, then come a sudden destruction, or then sudden destruction cometh upon them. And that's found in First Thessalonians chapter 5. So I was meditating on that verse and in thinking about what all we are facing these days with the riot, riots going on and the coronavirus and all the strife and conflict among our own political uh, powers that be and those of other lands. There's just a lot going on these days. Rumors and threats of wars and America with Iran is in, not in a good way at all. And just, just a lot of things going on that that I think it's good for us to just take these admonitions from, from the chapter here this morning. And so as I read through the chapter, I thought I'm going not to dwell the whole morning on the, on the point of uh, peace and safety, but just make that one point and just let this chapter speak to us and the ad, specific admonitions that it gives for us in, in this our day. In fact, at the end of the chapter, Paul says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. So we have that clear charge, that clear command from Paul to read in not only this chapter, but <clears throat> I'm sure all the chapters of the epistle he had in mind. But I believe I have I've kind of separated into about seven points, if I'm not mistaken, eight points and try and not keep it, make it too long. But he starts out here in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 1. He says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Guess I should turn my mic on. Am I on? Okay, sorry, I thought I'd forgotten to turn it on. 
But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. We'll stop there for now, and it seems to me this this scripture, maybe the first part of the chapter here, has has a dual uh, meaning to it, or a dual fulfillment. I believe it was definitely true for the Jew when when Jerusalem was destroyed there in 70 A.D., it, in many ways it fits that, but in many ways this passage along with other things that Jesus said definitely fits also for our day and the coming of the Lord in the end time. So, so I think it's important this morning as we think about peace and safety and the desire for that, And the prayer for that, we are to pray for those in authority that we could lead a peaceable and quiet life. But it's important for us to realize that our peace and our safety does not entirely or totally necessarily come from this this world. We can have peace and we can be safe in a very tumultuous situation, even like we find ourselves right now. I believe for the child of God, we can have peace, but I believe it takes some effort. It takes, it takes uh, a determination. It takes persistence. It takes purpose to know and, and stay focused on where our true peace and safety really is. We know that this world is, is, is doomed to destruction. We know it's coming We just don't know when exactly, the day or the hour, but we know it's coming. So even though, like I said, we have that desire for peace and safety, it's very, very important for us to to realize that lasting peace and lasting safety is not found in this world. Especially these days when we're tempted to just wish things could get back to normal. I think it's a good, a good time for us to put some extra thought into, into uh, finding true peace right now and finding that safety in the midst of a very unsafe world. We, 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 we press in. We, we believe God for that. We, we, re- we receive God's promises and we find that true peace in a very uh, tumultuous world. Lasting and true peace is, and safety are found only in the kingdom of God. We find in Romans fourteen seven, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that's, that's something for us to meditate on. I think you could put other things uh, in there where it says meat and drink. For the kingdom of God is not, 
having everything the way we wish here on earth, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We know the scripture says that Christ, Jesus, is our peace in Ephesians 2.14. That's where true peace is found, and he's also, as Isaiah says, he's also the prince of peace. And on the point of safety, just a few more thoughts on that before we go on here. You know, there's, we're, we're Americans. American is a powerful nation, and we can think, well, we're safe because we're Americans. We have a tremendous military might. Many countries uh, tremble because of America, but... That is not where we should settle when it comes to thinking about safety because I think that could change that could change rapidly. Proverbs said Solomon said the horse is prepared against the day of battle but safety is of the Lord. Brothers and sisters that's where our safety is it's of the Lord. David said the Lord is my refuge and my fortress. All oh, think about that, dearly beloved. So, just, just an admonition to us this morning that while though we wish for things maybe to get back to more normal, let's, 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 not, let's not settle for that to be the ultimate. The ultimate is peace with God, peace with ourselves, in that there's safety, and that in the midst of a very tumultuous situation. For the last comment on this point, I'd like to refer to one of Wesley's hymns that we sing from time to time. And it's, Jesus, lover of my soul, and there's a number of stories. If you look at this song up in the hymn history books, there's a couple of stories attached to this song, so it's not quite sure which one this song was really birthed out of, but, but uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the stories is that John Wesley was fleeing from his persecutors, and he hid behind the little bush, that was barely big enough to cover him. And, and, and this song came out of that experience. And I'd like to read the first, uh, just the second line. He says, Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, ah, leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head with the shadow of thy wing. And I can just imagine Brother John Wesley. Actually, it was Charles sitting behind that little bush, crouching down behind that bush, Hardly big enough to cover him. 
and crying to God for him to cover his defenseless head. May that be our heart. May that be our desire, brothers and sisters, to practice that, to pursue that, to endeavor to find our peace and safety in the Lord. Going on now in our text here to verse 4 and 5. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness." Well, first of all, just the thought there, or just, just to, uh, to point out that the Lord's return, or utter destruction, if you will, it very clearly says, will not overtake the child of God, the Christian, the one that is walking in the light, it, that day will not overtake us as a thief. And that's a tremendous promise this morning. It will not overtake us who are in tune and like Brother Delwyn shared this morning, who know and hear the voice of the shepherd. That day will not overtake us as a thief. And that's a precious promise this morning. In light of what we're facing and wondering what tomorrow holds, well, I think we should really practice and press in and and endeavor to know the scriptures for one, and then also to pray that God, we could hear that still small voice, that God would speak to us from the scriptures by the Spirit, that that day would not overtake us as a thief, but we could be of those that are ready and waiting for their Lord. Praise God. But my the main point here. The second point is, ye are all children of light. And I know we know this, but it just struck me afresh and anew as I pondered this chapter or this verse. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Solomon said, the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Praise God. So I just have a list of, uh, of references I'm going to be turning to on this point concerning children of light. And I want to impress upon our hearts again this morning, even though, like I said, this is not a new thought. This is not a new concept at all. But just to impress upon our hearts, we are children of light. Brothers and sisters, our lives radiate, they, they show forth. When we're walking with God, when we're in tune with His Word, our lives radiate, they speak, they influence, light influences. And sometimes we wonder, what, what difference do I make in life? What, you know, I'm just this little nobody in my little corner of the world, but I want to impress upon your heart if you're a Christian if you're a believer, you, you have a responsibility. You have, that's a privilege on one hand, but it, you also have a responsibility to, 
to have a clear shining light. Ye are the children of light, of manifestation, of revelation, of it's powerful if you think about it. So I'm going to read here, uh, starting in Matthew 5, verse 14. We're just going to skip through the scriptures and look at about five different references here on children of light. Matthew 5, verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ye are the light of the world. Think about it. Light influences. Light dispels darkness. Light illuminates. Light reveals. Ye are that light to the world. Ye are the light of the world. And we should not hide that light or be ashamed of that light. But put it up. Put it out. Put it on a candlestick. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works in this our day. John 5, verse 35. Just a testimony of John the Baptist. What a testimony. Not not all of us are called to be uh, fiery evangelists like John the Baptist was, so to speak, but... All of us are called to let our light shine. And and just think about this testimony that John the Baptist has had. It says he was a burning and shining light. And I believe in another place it says that God will make his ministers a a flame of fire or a flaming fire. But I believe it goes farther than that. I believe all of us as Christians should have a testimony of being a light. Being a light. Not being ashamed of righteousness. Not being ashamed of doing what's right. Not being ashamed of good works. John came at a time when Israel sat in gross darkness, and maybe that's why he's referred to a burning and a shining light, because he had such a tremendous message for those that sat in darkness, that he was considered a burning and a shining light. But dearly beloved, aren't we in dark times again? Isn't good called evil and evil good in our day? To a large degree it is. May we be burning and shining lights again in this dark world. 
Second Corinthians chapter six. The challenge to us. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse eight. No, I'm sorry, verse fourteen. Be not be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? The two don't mix. It's impossible, I believe, to to, to join up, to agree, to be in in fellowship with, with unrighteousness and have a light at the same time. If we have a light, that dispels that darkness. There's no fellowship there. But it says, what communion hath light with darkness? And I think the answer is clearly none. It does not have any fellowship with darkness at all. If we find ourselves fellowshipping with the darkness of this world and getting used to it, I believe our light is dimming and going out. And that's a serious thought. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, and light does just that. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Praise God. What a promise there. Just to acknowledge that I've slacked off, I've been sleepy, and, and to shake ourselves and to wake ourselves, and Christ will give us more light. Last one is in Philippians chapter 2. Children of light. That ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Brothers and sisters, you take away the true Christian out of this world. And the world becomes a very dark place. You think about that. All the true Christians were to go out of this world. It would become 
a very dark place. Morality would just fall to the, to the ground. It would be a very dark, hopeless place. You think about that. No one to offer hope. No one with answers. No one that can say, I can help you. No one that could point to a promise of God and, and speak forth a, a light-giving promise. You take the true Christian out of this world, and it would be a very dark place. And I say that to say that we have a responsibility to not hide that light, put it under a bushel, keep it bright, keep it clear, not give a mixed message. but to let our light shine. Going back to our text now, going on, point number three, watch and be sober. Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. Stop there for, for this point. Last Sunday, I believe it was, Brother Larry preached on edifying one another, or edifying the body of Christ, building each other up. And we have that here in verse 11. My point is to watch and be sober. I think this basically speaks of to just have a a, to see the big picture, to know what life is all about. It doesn't mean we need to just close our shop doors and sit on top of the hill somewhere and, and, and wait for the Lord's return. But I think it's simply saying, uh, keep it in mind. Keep things in proper perspective. You know, uh, we have our businesses, not, not for ourselves, but for our families and for the Lord. We, we keep it in right perspective. We, we, we make money to provide and to give. We, we do that all in, in, in light of the big picture that the Lord is coming and we don't want to be entangled. And, and, and on the list could go. We have that mindset of watching. Even while we're working, we, we never lose sight of the kingdom of God. That should be our mindset. We don't sleep on this matter. We never go to sleep when it comes to the matter and issue of the kingdom of God. We think, well, you know, I know I shouldn't be doing this, and, but it's a nice day and the Lord won't come today and we just kind of, you know, let her slide a little. No, we don't, we don't think like that. We watch and we're sober because we, we know the reality of the Lord uh, and is coming and we want to be found of him in peace, as the scripture says. 
We want to be found of him in peace, not slacking off, not sleeping, not being foolish. And like the other word says here, sober, or it's, the word sober means to abstain from wine. That's one obvious definition. But the other one, and more maybe applicable here to what I'm preaching here, is to be discreet. It means to be discreet. Watch and be discreet because we want to be found of him in peace. Jesus also admonished us to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Those were words from Jesus, dearly beloved, and and let us be admonished by those words this morning. Watch and pray. How's your praying going? Are you praying? Are you pressing in? Are you getting into your prayer closet, dearly beloved? Are you praying? Are you getting through to God? Are you hearing his voice? We need that. We need that, brothers and sisters. How's your watching going? Let's not let down our guards. Going on to verse 8 there, it says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Dearly beloved, we're in a battle, a major battle, and the battle is for our souls. Satan wants us to get weary and to give up and to quit watching and to quit praying. Satan reminds us of plenty of the prayers that haven't been answered. Satan tells us, you know, what's the use for so, so much watching because the world goes on. It's been like this for years. So why worry so much about watching and keeping on your toes? I tell you, we are in a battle. We're in a war, and it's for our souls. It's for your soul. Imagine with me the, 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 the negative of this verse. So we have a verse here that gives us a picture of the battlefield. We have a breastplate, and we have a helmet. And imagine with me, you're out on the battlefield, the the arrows are flying, the missiles are flying, or whatever you want to put in there, and you see this soldier, and he takes off his breastplate. He's on the battlefield, and he takes off his breastplate, and he takes off his helmet, and there he stands in the battlefield, taking off his breastplate, having taken off his helmet. He is totally vulnerable. He is, he is, he, he's, he's going to get wounded. Isn't the same true when we take off the breastplate of faith and we begin to doubt and we begin to question and we begin to struggle and we begin to have a hard time believing God anymore? Isn't that what the enemy wants? And that, and that leaves our heart the very most crucial, vital part of us. It leaves our heart exposed to the arrows of, the, of Satan. It's just like a soldier who on the battlefield takes his armor off. And you take the helmet off. When we give up hope, it's like taking the helmet off. And leaving our head exposed to the darts of the wicked one. When we lose hope. 
Dearly beloved, we must hope. Lose not your hope. Point number four. Verse 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So here we have an admonition by Paul to the church for the congregation to know their leaders. To know their leaders. Just turn with me quickly to Acts chapter 20. I want to show you something there, an example of Paul and how he, he, uh, he, he says it here. In Acts 20, they had that meeting there with the Ephesian elders. And this is what Paul tells them. He says in verse 18, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, you know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. And he goes on. Yeah, well, let me finish the next verse, uh, or two verses there yet. Serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Verse 34 of Acts 20. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities. Verse 35. I have showed you all things. And that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so we have an example there of Paul saying, testifying that I lived among you, you know my life, there's nothing that I hid from you, I told you everything that I felt I should say, know your leaders. And here in our, in our text it says that... He begs, it's a strong word, I beg you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, there's a, there's a passage in the scripture where the shepherd is admonished, the leaders are admonished to know the sheep. That is also very important, that the leaders know the sheep. They care for the sheep. They feed the sheep. They know what food the sheep need. They know what they gave last week. They give them, try to give them a balanced diet. But here, in this passage, it's to the church to know their leaders. Do you know your leaders' passions? Do you know their burdens? Do you put effort into getting to know your leaders? We don't mind. We don't mind questions. Do you know their visions? Do you know their vision they have for the church? Do you know their convictions? I think it's your responsibility in part to to press in and to find that out. According to this scripture here, know them. Be close enough to them to know them. 
Know what excites them. Know what gets them going. And know what burdens them. And know what their visions are. And know what their, their, their position is or their responsibility is. One of it is they are over you in the Lord. And they admonish you. And in Hebrews it says they watch out for your souls. And that's a position that the Lord placed upon the leaders of the church. That's not man's idea. God chose men to be leaders under shepherds and care for the flock in a specific way. So the challenge and admonition from the scriptures here is this morning to the congregation, know your leader, put, put effort in to know them. And be at peace with them. It says there in verse 13, And be at peace among yourselves. Not one that is always resisting and challenging and questioning. That's not healthy. That's not good. I believe Hebrews says it's unprofitable for you. A turn there. If that's how you find your heart, just in unrest, just, just contrary, just against, just questioning, not, not loving, not esteeming, not revering or looking up to the one that God has placed uh, in leadership. It's, it's something to ponder. I can lay my eyes on it here. It says, They watch out for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So the admonition here from the scriptures is to to know your leaders, to know those that labor, among you in the word and bring admonitions and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and to be at peace among yourselves. That's point number four, know your leaders. The fifth point that I drew out here is know your brothers. That's in verse 14 and 15. Dearly beloved, brothers and sisters, do you know your brothers and sisters? Do you know your sisters? Let's read. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Now that is probably part of the leader's responsibility, I'm sure, but I believe it includes the brothers. We're a brotherhood. We're a body. So the brothers have a responsibility here to know their brother and the sister their sister. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. You know, the thing about getting even, 
or holding grudges or holding out on people. It just should never be named among us as a congregation. And so here we have an admonition from the scriptures, an exhortation, if you will, that brothers should know their brothers. And so you have a brother that is unruly. Whose responsibility is it? You know, he's just out. It doesn't mean it's one that is totally evil. He's just out of rank. I looked this word up, and I believe it. I didn't write the definition down, but I believe it gave the idea of a, of a regiment of soldiers, and one is out of rank. He's just out of step. He's just not in, in with his heart. He's just drawing back. That's unruly because it puts the rest of the soldiers in, in danger. When we're not all on board. And so everyone has a responsibility to come alongside our fellow soldiers and say, what's wrong? You know, step up. Get in step. Comfort the feeble-minded. There's brothers and sisters that, are, that tremble when you think about the battle that we're facing. There's where the stronger ones should come in and and, and encourage them. And same is true for the weak. Support them. And lift them up. And in all of these different uh, type of people, we should be patient one with another. In this, in this Christian uh, walk that we're walking. <clears throat> There's two questions in Genesis that I thought about when I thought about this point here. And I think it would be good for us to ponder those two questions. It's Cain and Abel. And where Cain went out and killed Abel and God came to Cain and this is what he said. First question is, Abel, uh, Cain, where's thy brother Abel? Where is Abel thy brother? And so I ask you this question. Do you know where your brother is? Do you know where he's struggling? Do you know where he's at today? Where's your brother so-and-so? Where's brother Darrell? Where's brother Ron? Where's brother Larry? Do you know? Where's brother Jonathan down in Haiti? Do we know? Do we care enough to find out? Where is your brother? God said, Abel, or to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And God forbid that we have the answer that Cain did. I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Know your brother. Know your brother. That word keeper is an interesting word. It means, am I my brother's hedge? It means a hedge. Am I my brother's hedge? Am I my brother's guard to protect and to attend to? I think the answer is a resounding yes. I am part of the guard. I am part of the hedge for my brother. And the same is true for the sisters. 
Where is sister so-and-so? Do we care enough to ask, to inquire? This is the admonition from the scriptures. If we don't know, then we can't exhort. We can't comfort. We can't support if we don't know. And sometimes people are timid to share their struggles and they need someone to come and kind of draw them out. I, 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 I urge us this morning to draw the brethren and sisters out. Give them a call. Shoot them a text. How are you doing? And press them a little further than just fine. You know, get down to the real, uh, real shoe leather of life. How is your brother? That when God comes and says, where is your brother? You say, I know exactly where he's at. I'm praying for him this week. I, am, I know his struggle. I know exactly. He told me. I know his struggle. I know her struggle. This is our duty, dearly beloved. Number six. Reading from verse 16 to 22. I put this, I lumped this all into one point here. Just a lot of short but powerful exhortations. Verse 16, rejoice evermore. Take that for some medicine this morning. Rejoice evermore. Jesus said, not just when you feel like it, but when you're persecuted. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Hallelujah. Spiritual joy. Not based on earthly comforts. Think about the promises. And rejoice evermore. Think about the fact that God cannot lie. And you can pray in faith. And you can rejoice believing. In verse 17, pray without ceasing. I just asked, you, have you been weary and, and ceasing in your prayer time? Number 18, uh, verse 18, in everything give thanks, giving thanks, even as it were if we feel like we're in prison and in stocks and bonds like, like, uh, like Paul and Silas were. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit we must be careful not to quench this holy fire. We know from other scriptures that the Spirit of God is, is it's called a still small voice. It's called a gentle dove. It's often unseen and, and unnoticed. It's, it's, it gives the idea it's tender. It's timid almost. It won't force itself upon us, but it's there. And we must be, it's there, it's God's spirit, it's holy fire. It's what we need, it's what we want. Quench not the spirit. There's a couple different ways we can quench fire. You can quench fire by removing its fuel. 
So if you don't feed your soul, if you don't stir yourself up, if you don't, if you don't take the word, this holy word, and digest it, the spirit could get, the fire could go out. Quench not that fire. That's one way to quench it. We can quench it by pouring water on it, just dousing it. Something is, uh, you know, repulsive, and we, we don't like what the Spirit is saying, so we, we, we put it out, we put it away from us. We, as it were, pour water on that holy fire. You can put fire out by putting earth on it, dirt, ground, suffocate it, snuff it out. That could be like just being encumbered with the things of this life. You know, being just overwhelmed with earthly things. And so much so that we eventually don't hear the spirit of the Lord. Just a a strong exhortation. Quench not the spirit. To be pliable, yieldable. Flexible. Number uh, verse 20 there, despise not prophesying. We should prize and value the holy ordinance, this holy ordinance of God preaching. We should long for it. We should, we should long to sit under the preaching of God's word and not despise it. Well, I don't like the preacher. I don't, you know, I don't like his mannerisms or whatever the reasons are. And on and on the list could go to kind of cause us to draw back. The scripture admonishes us here to despise not prophesying, which I translate as preaching. I believe that's what it means. Don't, don't, uh, con- don't look at it lightly. Uh, it's by the preaching of the word that faith is birthed. It's by the preaching of the word that we, that we grow in grace, that, we are, that, that our souls are saved. Uh, it's the preaching of the holy word. So we should not despise that. Prove all things. That means to test or to approve. We should be like the Bereans and search the scriptures daily whether those things were really so. Is this true what I heard? Prove all things. Hold fast that which is, hold fast that which is good. That takes a lot of work. Prove all things, and to keep the good and reject the bad. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I believe we have seven action words there, if you will. Rejoice, pray, give thanks, quench not, despise not, prove all things, abstain from all appearance of evil. Think with me, how do you practically abstain from all appearances of evil in our day? I mean, it's everywhere. You look around, you see it just all over the place. It's not to say that there's no good in our day, but there is a lot of evil. How do we practically apply this to our day? I don't know. I'm not sure if I have the answer to that totally, but... There should be such a godly fear in us, such a, such a, uh, such a hatred for sin that we just turn away, we just pull back, we just abstain. 
We just turn it off. We look the other way. We don't go there. We, not even at the appearance of it, let alone the, the evil of it itself, just the appearance of it. Matthew Henry uh, made this comment. He says, he who is not shy of the appearance of sin. And I, I like that, the way he put that. You would, you're shy. He who is not shy of the appearance of sin, who shuns not the, the occasions of sin, and who avoids not the temptations and the approaches of sin, will not long abstain from the actual commission of sin. So it's a process. We know that. You, you give into that. You don't, you don't abstain from it. Eventually, sin will be committed. Very good admonition. And point number seven is verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just a point on sanctification here I want to make. I'm sure we know this, but God's idea or God's will is for our sanctification here and now, not once we get to heaven. We should never make any excuses for sin. We should never hide sin. We know we won't prosper if we do that. But even make an excuse for sin or just say, well, that's my weakness or that's just who I am. That is not the mindset of the Christian. We should press in and and beg God and ask God. It's the will of God here. We know, we see that, that we are sanctified body, soul, and spirit before the coming of the Lord. So I just want to make that point that we should never settle for, uh, for, for a life of, of failure and, and where we can't get the victory over sin. We should never settle for that. If that's, if that's where you're at, dearly beloved, I pray that you will, you will revive this desire that I pray you will go after someone to help you to find to find the freedom and the liberty and the power to overcome and to be sanctified of whatever problem you have in your life. Just to open yourself up, I'm not preaching you know sinless perfection, but I'm just preaching an open, honest life that says, God, I have nothing hid. I want you to sanctify me and to pursue that. And lastly, the faithfulness of God. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Praise God this morning. The Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. We have that in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. The Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. That's a tremendous promise. So then he asks for prayer and, and, and the last admonition there to greet the brethren with an holy kiss. So may the Lord bless this word this morning to all of us and that we would, we would prosper with, with these words. I will close with prayer. Thank you, God, 
Father, though we live in very tumultuous times and difficult times and, and unsettling times, Lord, we know where the answers lie. We look for our peace and security and safety in you. And so, God, now I pray for your blessing on the word and all our hearts, Lord, as we meditate upon these words. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the solid foundation for our soul, Lord. We build upon it, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless everyone. Have a good day.